millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast dedicated to chatting about stuff that matters, real talk and lols. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Thank you so much for joining me. And on this episode, we're joined by a real go-getter, Tyler Marnie. Tyler is one of the only females in the Australian gold mining industry and features on multiple TV shows, Superstar. She's also a business owner, podcaster and owns her story. On the show, we chat about feminism and why we need to work to undo internalized misogyny, mental health, Tyler's experiences and diagnosis with bipolar. Honestly, she's so honest and incredible at telling these stories that I think a lot of people will relate to and feel not so alone. Wanting to do all of the things, self-care and feeling empowered and whole as you are. I felt really inspired after chatting with Tyler and I know you're going to love this conversation. So let's get into it and enjoy. Tyler, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. So I'm 25. Um, I live in a small town called Kalgoorlie in Western Australia, and I'm a full-time gold prospector. I have a podcast. I do a bit of TV work. Yeah, a bit of a mixture of things, really. Yeah. Run a business. Yeah. Always forget about that one. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out all about that. But take us back. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your childhood. And did you know growing up? what you wanted to do? So I grew up as a fourth generation prospector. So basically my parents have always been full-time gold diggers. So my childhood consisted of living out in the desert on stations, finding gold and running amok. Um, Definitely growing up, I thought I didn't want to be a gold prospector. I always loved it, but it was something that I ended up, I think not almost resenting because it's all we ever did. Like I remember my friends used to go on cool vacations to like Esperance or Bali or Gold Coast. And my vacations were to Yandel Station out in the middle of the West Australian desert. So I got to a point in my life where I was like, I need to do something else. So I um, moved to Melbourne and I did a bit of events managing and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm I'm back, back in the desert now. I'm back finding gold. Yeah. So tell us about when you decided. I know that you were in Melbourne doing your thing and you didn't think you wanted to do the gold thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, I want to go do it. So talk us through that transition and, and that decision, I guess. Yeah, it was a huge transition because my life in Melbourne was very hard and fast. I was events managing, running a swimwear label, a jewellery brand, doing a million things at once, partying and, you know, living the city life. And I absolutely loved that. But I got a phone call from my parents asking if I would come back for a while to film a TV show about gold prospecting. And I said, of course. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, wow, like I actually really, really enjoy this. And I miss the more slow down life and finding gold. And I think that there was something special in being a fourth generation gold prospector. I really wanted to continue that on. Literally overnight, I was like, okay, I love you, Melbourne, but I'm going back to be a gold digger. And it really was just happened overnight. I'm very hard and fast. So when I make a decision, it it happens quite quickly. That's cool. So we'll talk through all of that. Tell us like about what you do as a gold prospector. Like what is the day in the life 
of a gold prospector like? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like I have always done it my whole life. So some things seem mundane to me, but a, a normal day can look very different as the weeks go by. But I also run a gold prospecting business. So if I'm at home in the office, I'm looking up geology maps, reading old mining reports, uh, letting members know about legalities and stuff. But if I'm out in the field, I'm driving the loader or operating the excavator or in the dry blower, using a dry blower, metal detecting for gold, panning for gold, driving around, um, doing exploration work. Um, So yeah, it's very different day to day, but that's what I love about it. You know, what's it like being, I guess, on your TV show, I've seen a little bit about what you guys do on there, but talk us through that opportunity and how that sort of arose. Is it, you know, because it is quite and it's it's awesome that you're doing it that there's not so many females in the industry yeah definitely I think there was um I got quite lucky that my parents are well-known gold prospectors in our gold field so basically they got pulled onto the tv show and then when the crew found out they had a daughter doing it it was a little bit different so I'm very lucky in the sense that I am a bit of a rarity in the gold prospecting game it gave me an in in some areas it does hold me back but in this area it definitely gave me um something unique, which they really enjoyed. So I basically started doing that TV show and then one thing led to another and I got pulled onto another TV show. And um, yeah, it kind of all just happened from there. I mean, you probably know no different because it's something you've been immersed in your whole life and you've been brought up around. But what is it like being a female in such a male-dominated industry? Yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. It's something that I noticed from a very early age that... Yeah, that there is a, a difference the way people treat me and my mother compared to how they treat my male peers or my father. And it's something that as early as I can remember, I was like, this is like, what the, what the hell is going on right now? The way, the best way to describe it, I feel as though when I walk into a room in the um, gold prospecting world, because it is completely male dominated, my father and brother are automatically given respect where me and my mother have to earn it and we have to have a conversation. And once people decide that we are experienced and educated that's when respect's given whereas my brothers and um my brother and my dad have just given the respect so it's something yeah I've definitely always noticed and it's something that I try and um I try and change the narrative a little bit but it's definitely hard work yeah how do you change that narrative and how do you navigate being in situations like that I I guess quite regularly yeah definitely I think I got lucky in the fact that my parents have um always had my back in situations a good example is a guy walked into our gold shop when I was about 20 and said I want to speak to the boss and I so I grabbed my mum and he was like no I want to speak to the real boss so he was obviously insinuating dad and dad heard what was going on and basically pulled me over and said um tell him if he doesn't want to speak to you he can get the f out of the store so I'm very lucky that I've had a very good role model that instilled confidence in me so in situations like that now I um, am very confident in standing my ground and I just um, find it very important to make sure that I find I find sometimes as well with being a female, it's like a prerequisite to keep the peace in the room and mm. be warm and be humble. And I try and make sure that I don't fall back into that trap because it's really hard when a man's speaking and they're speaking over the top of you just to crawl back into your little box. And I can feel myself wanting to do it. And I just make sure that I stand my back. I know that I know what I'm talking about. And I just make sure that I kind of demand the respect from these people. Mm. What have been some challenges that you've faced 
in that sort of area, I guess. And, and, and you know, what is, and as part of that, what what do you think, like, what's the importance of females in this space? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's been many a challenges. Um, I gave one before, but things like that are daily occurrence. And a good example, actually, would be I did a TV show called Parker's Trail, and we travelled around the, Australia, the country, and basically every mine site we went to, we would meet a different man, a different man in the mining and gold prospecting industry. And I found it very interesting, the interactions I had with the men compared to how Parker, who is my male peer, had with them. And I'm a fourth generation miner, so is he. We're very, we're very level. But I, I knew straight away when someone gave him more respect than they gave me and all the other men in the room didn't realise it. So I made it, I would make sure I had the conversations like afterwards with um, Parker and the male um, colleagues just saying, oh, did you notice this? Did you notice that? And most of the time they're quite ignorant to it because they've never had to deal with it. And then I found moving forward, they were now aware of it. So they had my back more. So I find um, a lot of like the men in our lives aren't nasty or malicious. They just are very ignorant because they've never had to deal with it. So I make sure I have open conversations with them. And yeah, like I said before, it's a very hard thing to to do, but just making sure I am demanding their respect. I know my worth and I have a lot of confidence behind me, which helps. But yeah, in situations where I am feeling like they're not respecting me, just making sure that I'm yeah standing my ground. Yeah. I mean, you're working in an industry and there's so many where you know, there aren't as many females. So why do you think it's so important that there are more females in this space? Yeah, definitely. We bring, females bring um, a level of patience to the field as well, which I think is great. And it's just a different view because we've had different life experiences and watching my mum deal with these challenges growing up uh, and the way she handled it has really made me realise that I want to, I want females that are watching me to understand their worth and know their worth and to um, know that they can do anything they want to do just despite being, doesn't matter about their gender, they can do whatever they like. So yeah, it's important to me that I'm not doing it just for myself, I'm doing it for people that are watching. Yeah, do you think that from growing up, even though you've grown up in this environment, to what you're doing now, your views and your, I guess, knowing how uh, how important feminism is has increased and you're, you're more aware of those sorts of things? Oh, God, yeah. If you had asked me, I think, five years ago if I was a feminist, I would have gone, ew, God, no. Like, I'm not a feminist. What are you talking about? And since then and um, educating myself, I have realised how important it is to label myself as a feminist and have those hard conversations. Like, I just started dating a guy, actually, and bless him. Um, he, I was, ta- I was going on this rant about this idiot that wasn't giving me enough respect at work or whatever and he said are you like a feminist or something and I was like of course I am like what do you mean and he was like oh I was like are you and he was like no he was like I think females and male like men should have equal rights but I'm not a feminist and I was like let's unpack that do you think that's because you think a feminist is like some crazy over-the-top left-wing nutter he was like yeah I was like no like a feminist is someone who just wants equal rights and he's like oh like yeah okay I'm an fem- I'm a yeah. feminist then I can't expect the people in my life to um fight for what I believe in if I'm not even fighting for what I believe in so I make a very big point of labeling myself as a feminist with confidence if I tell someone I'm a feminist and I am very passionate about that and their reaction is like like you know that's a reflection of them not me I'm not going to change or dim myself just because someone else is uncomfortable yeah and you're so right I love that that you're doing that because you're so right there is this I know what you mean that when I'm you know talking about feminism or female empowerment and all those things and you kind of have to be like oh but like I'm not I don't hate men because there is that strain I think back in the day of you know feminists who were very harsh and they were male haters you know whereas feminism Mm -hmm. now like I feel like a lot of people are feminists you know and men should 
should be feminist because it's just equal rights. We don't want more than them. We just want the same as, you know, like. I find it. Yeah. I find it so funny when they get like offended. Like when I say I'm a feminist, like I'm going to take their, steal their rights away. Like, don't worry, guys, you're still going to be able to vote. No one's dropping down your wage. You still have a lot more than we do. And there's still so much work to be done. You know, like the pay gap is huge for females. Yeah, exactly. And I live in a town that is very country, very rural, very or not right wing, but like it's old values. It's very, you know what I'm, you know yeah. what the country's like. From I'm from a small country town, a lot of bogans around. And I can say that because I am a bogan. In the past, I have made sure to be very careful about what I say around these people so I don't offend these men and hurt their egos. But now I just like have realized that that is only detrimental to me. So now if I'm at the pub and I'm having a conversation with a guy and I do bring up like the pay gap, for example, and I he makes a comment like, oh, well, women could just, you know, they can do whatever we can do. They can get a job like us, you know, rah, rah, rah. Instead of just going, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. I make a very, like, big point of trying to explain to them why they're wrong instead of just bowing down to them. I found in the past I would bow down a lot, and I don't know why we want to keep men comfortable. I think there's no change if we just stay in our little, you know, comfortable box. Because it sounds like you've sort of worked out how to navigate these situations, but what would be some advice you would give to those listening who perhaps are in these situations that we all find ourselves in and just, yeah, knowing what to say and not, like you say, bow down and, and shrink back into that, you know, shell that we often do when when men are doing that sort of thing. You know, what would be some advice you would give to people so they can handle those situations? Yeah, definitely. It's not something that like I learned overnight. This has taken me about six years to get to this point. But I think the first thing that helped me was educating myself so that when I did have a conversation, I felt like I knew what I was talking about. And so just like having some statistics in your head or even listening to a podcast like this where you're listening to another female that has a narrative and just kind of absorbing that. The next thing would be confidence. And I know it's pretty cliche and it's a pretty thing. You can't just, you know, wake up in the morning and become confident overnight. I I know my worth and I'm very certain of who I am and it's taken a long time to get here. But because I am very confident person, I won't feel the need to dim myself down. And I feel like when people, they want to go back into their box because they're scared of hurting someone or, you know, making someone feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's it's a very hard place to get to where you just got to back yourself and just go, well, I don't care if these people like me or not. If I'm not their cup of tea, that's a reflection of them, not me. Yeah. You talked about some ways that you've gotten to that place, but you know, like how have you grown your self-worth? Is that something that you've always sort of had um, a bit of or is that something you've increased over time? Yeah, definitely something that's increased over time. I went through a period where I had really bad disordered eating and I was in the modeling industry. So my body image was pretty bad. Um, And that was probably about four or five years ago. So that's probably how long it's taken me to get to a place now where I can like outwardly say that I love myself. And a lot of people struggle saying that because, you know, society, the patriarchy we live in, it's it's a bit uncomfortable. There's even even I just said it just then and I felt a little bit uncomfortable. No, but, we love it. We're here for it. Yeah. Everyone can feel that but, way. Well, exactly. And when I started doing that, it changed my life forever. And I'm a big believer on um the one percenters and the little things. So I stop myself now when I look in the mirror and say, Oh, you're fat, or you know, what why'd you eat that McDonald's last night? Look at your ass. And changing those little daily one percenters has made a big difference. And um realizing that life is too short to try and please everyone make everyone happy and I just 
am like very happy with myself. And if someone doesn't like that, I'm not going to dim myself to try and suit them. And yeah, like I said, it's a very long pathway to get there, but it's just the little things every day that help. You're so right with the people pleasing thing as well. I mean, people will like certain versions of you and then you're not going to please everyone. I sort of have to work on that as well because I do want everyone to like me. I don't know. And I I am a fairly likable person, but I've had to really be like, you know, you're a good person. You do. No one's perfect. We all do like things that are annoying or whatever, but you can't please them all. You know, even just by talking about things openly on a forum like this or it's weird. I'm able to do that on a podcast, but then on Instagram, I wouldn't always be as open about myself. I just always put others' needs before my own and others' feelings. Yeah. But it's like you can talk about things. And when I do, people actually really love that. But and so I I think Instagram as well and places like that can just be a bit of a judgmental space. But then a lot Mm -hmm. of that is to do with you and what you think people are going to think about you. And you need to stop worrying because the ones who really matter get it. And by sharing something, you know, relatable or whatever, people are going to connect with you more. And those who don't vibe, you know, like you can't please everybody, even if you were to do, if you were to act a certain way. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. And I like what you said about um, pleasing everybody and stuff. And some people aren't going to like you. And I find if someone doesn't like me, it's actually a reflection of their insecurities. So when I'm out in a night out and I am being quite confident and there is another woman in the room that's going, oh, look at her. She's too confident. That's actually a reflection of her. That's not a reflection of me. And I wish her the best. She's got some stuff she's going to work on, but I'm not going to lower myself just because she's insecure. And another thing that I found helped is when I stopped judging other women and when I stopped being insecure by other women and realizing that there's enough room for all of us to be amazing, that helped as well. This is horrible, but you know, when you're a teenager and you bitch with your friends, like, oh, she's gained weight or I hated what she was wearing. Stopping myself from having those like low vibrational conversations about other people, stop them. I don't do them about myself anymore. So that really helped as well. Yeah, people have to get out of that pattern, hey. And that's another thing with the patriarchy. You know, there's ingrained, deeply ingrained, um, internalized misogyny. I so agree with you. I mean, I often will raise the point, I'm like, because a lot of people won't like women who threaten them, right? If they're doing mm-hmm. well, if they're pretty, you know, or like they've got, they seem like they've got a great life and they've, but they're, that person's worked really hard for that, right? Um, And I mm-hmm. often raise the question, it's like, why do you not like her? Is she not a nice mm-hmm. person? Has she done something nasty to you, you know? um, Or are you just threatened by her? Like, does she make you feel insecure about yourself? Because I think, I, I don't know, you've probably faced it as well. I have as well. And even though I'm quite, I don't know, I'm quite down to earth and chill, really, I just quite, mm-hmm do my thing I've often had a lot of women not really like me or be threatened by me and then meet me and they're like oh you're actually really nice it's like I'm not scary like I'm I'm mostly just busy working like I don't really you know like I'm just doing my thing at work like I'm not really yeah so it always confuses me because I'm quite a soft and gentle person I just think maybe you give off that vibe when you're a boss working or something you know what I mean yeah oh no I totally get that I actually saw this TikTok and it was like is she actually annoying and irritating or are you just a little bit um, jealous that she worked on her insecurities and it is it's all internalized misogyny and like it's not our fault it's not our fault we have this internalized misogyny it's not my fault that when I was 19 I looked at a female who was more confident than me and bitched about it but it's our responsibility to rewire those brain patterns oh yeah like the patriarchy's fault but it's It's, still our responsibility to start working on it you're so right they've done it as a distraction like it's like they're distracting us right they want us to not like each other because it like yeah distracts (laughs) us anyway but yeah I exactly there's a lot definitely a lot of work in that space of they say it and I always think it's really important you know women lift up other women but when you hear it it's almost like a cliche thing 
I don't think a lot of women, and this is not a criticism or a judgment of anybody, but I don't think a lot of women actually put it into practice properly. You know, like, you know, international women say, like, yeah, women support women. It's like, yeah, well, you wouldn't, like, be nasty about a woman. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be threatened. Like you say, there's enough success for everybody, you know, but I think because there has maybe at some times in some industries only been certain numbers of women in the room that they feel Mm -hmm. like they have to compete, but we're really only competing with ourselves and society maybe and making them more the norm to have more not just genders but you know a whole range of different people in that room oh no exactly yeah exactly and all stems from like capitalism and the patriarchy and stuff and it's so hard when it's so ingrained in you it's so hard to rewire all those thought patterns and stuff but yeah it takes a long time but when you finally start to work on it the world looks very different and yeah, yeah. It's a nice place to be. Yeah, definitely. Now, you're not afraid to talk about quite important issues and topics as well on your own podcast and your own platforms. Tell us about that. Does that come from your personal experiences or is that just something you feel really passionate about? I think it's a mixture of both. I think because I'm very open about the fact I was diagnosed with bipolar and I think... The reason I started talking about it, well, one of the reasons is I remember when I was going through pre-diagnosis craziness and I thought I was a looper. I remember having a conversation with someone and I come from a place where you don't talk about mental health. Like, I don't know about other country towns, but it's not very well talked about. And so when I moved to Melbourne and this girl was talking about how she saw a psych and she's been diagnosed with this and she's going to therapy, I was like, oh my God, like I feel safe. I felt like someone else was going through what I was going through. And I just remember pre-Tyler, before that conversation, I just wanted to, I wish I could go back and give her a massive hug and I wish she had someone I wish she had someone that was open about it because it would have helped me a lot I felt very alone and I don't want anyone else to feel like that I don't want anyone in this planet to feel like they are alone and they don't have someone to talk about it so that's one of the reasons because I want to normalize it and break down the stigma around it but I also found that like being vulnerable strengthens relationships like you can't have a solid relationship without vulnerability and the more I'm vulnerable with myself the more I receive it and I've found so many great relationships since speaking about it it's um yeah it's been one of the best things I ever did Mm. talk us through that time with your diagnosis and before like what did your life look like and what were you feeling like you said that you felt very alone what was that like oh god it was honestly like without being (laughs) super like down it was what it was horrible it's one of the worst times in my life part of it was because there's um obviously a lot of stigmas around mental health, but the one I struggled with the most is that my life was perfect. On paper, great boyfriend, great upbringing, great childhood, no money issues. There was no life stresses that should be doing this for me. And so before I was diagnosed, I was going through depressive and manic episodes. And so like a depressive episode is like, I had a lot of suicidal ideations, couldn't get out of bed, no motivation. Um, Like just, it was like living in a black hole. It was really sad. And then I would flip to a manic episode where I had zero control over myself and was living in like a euphoric land. And I just basically thought I couldn't control my emotions. I just thought there was something wrong with me. And, and like with the stigma thing, I didn't feel like I could speak to anyone about it because like, that's embarrassing. You know, I was just a bit embarrassed by it all. It's like Tyler, learn how to be an adult better and control your emotions. And it's something that I struggled with my my whole life was controlling my moods. So it wasn't really, I just thought it was a personality trait, but yeah, it was a horror, like it was a pretty hard time in my life because I had no family. I didn't have any like long-term friends around me. And my ex didn't really understand mental health that well. So that made it a little bit harder. And I just felt very alone. And I was in a heap of denial. It took me probably 
about three years from the first psych saying, I think you have bipolar to me actually accepting it and taking my medication. So Mm. very confusing time. Yeah. Talk us through that confusion and and also the diagnosis process for you. What was that like when you did come to terms with it? Was it a weight off your shoulders? Oh, yeah. I, I actually went to my GP. The first thing I did was went to my GP and said, I have an iron deficiency girl. I can't get out of bed in the mornings. Like, please do a blood test on me. And the blood test came back and the GP was like, bloods are fine. And I was like, no, they're not, girl. I can't get out of bed. I have an iron deficiency. And she just was like the first person that had ever asked me this question. And she just was like, how's your mental health? And it was just like a weight off my shoulders when someone finally asked me because I was just burst into tears. I was like, I don't think I have been happy for like two years. There's no serotonin in my brain. There's no dopamine going on. And she was like, you need to see a psych. I was like, no, I don't. I'm actually fine. I feel better now. Thank you for your help though. So from that GP appointment, it took me a year to go see the psychologist because your GP gives you... um mental health plan and referral took a year because in that year I was in my head thinking I just I'm fine I just can't deal with like stress very well so it's something I need to work on I'm just a bit of a weak person and um, yeah a lot of denial going on so I ended up seeing a psychologist who said I think you have depression and I ignored that psychologist for a year I was like you're crazy and in the in that two years of the GP and me seeing the next psychologist I had a couple of manic episodes which absolutely like wreak chaos on my life anyone that doesn't know what a manic episode's like it's like um, you just think you're a god like no one can touch you like you've got no idea about consequences so your money is like you blow your money all the time, like drugs. Um, yeah, just like I did so many things that are not Tyler. And because my partner and friends, I hadn't been diagnosed yet. It was like, you were just insane. Like, what's wrong with you? And then when I ended up seeing the next psychologist, because my boyfriend said to me, I'll leave you if you don't get help. Um, and they said I had bipolar. It was the biggest weight off my shoulders. It was like, okay, I'm not a crazy psychopath that can't control herself. I have a mental illness. And then, yeah, it was still probably another couple of years after that till I finally said I hit a really, really bad low. And um, it wasn't until after that low, a psychiatrist sat me down and said, you will um, probably not make it to your 40 if you don't start taking this seriously. That I kind of clicked to me that um, I had a mental illness and then I started taking it seriously, which was a good point in my life. Yeah. When they said that to you, you know, was that a bit of a shock to you or a reality check? You know, you're right. You know, you're living those lows and then that that manic episode that's a lot for someone to go through it's weird I think my first reaction which is like probably not a great reaction but my first reaction was like thank god I have an excuse to my like my actions now I can go to my family and say I'm sorry I did this but it's not my fault it was kind of like a selfish way it was like a get out of um, jail card for me and then on the other hand it was a massive relief I was like okay I can get a plan now I can get medicated and hopefully I will get better still to come on the show we find out more about Tyler's diagnosis and experiences with bipolar we've got to thank her for being so honest a stack of helpful advice coming up and how she overcame not basing her worth on her size and caring what others think. But first, we're an independent podcast dedicated to having conversations that matter and delivering content our millennial female audience crave. You can support us, and we really do need and appreciate your support. We're not some big dog media company. By hitting the big purple subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or click follow if you're listening on Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps others to find us. Send a link to your friends, share where you're listening, and post it on your Instagram stories, or you can post a screenshot and tag us at self-love. Club podcast so we can see and share and follow us keep up to date with our videos and content like videos from my chat with Tyler right let's get back into it
How has that process been for you? You know, when you it took you a long time. Like I'm sure someone listening who maybe has gone through similar can relate to. And you know, then going on medication and your treatment and everything like that. How has that changed your life? Oh, it's been pretty intense. When I first got medicated, I got medicated with lithium, which is a pretty standard bipolar drug. And I decided that some days I did have bipolar and some days I didn't. So, which is so ironic, which is very, very typical for someone with bipolar. So some days I was taking it and then other days I was like, I don't need that drug, which actually spikes the symptoms of bipolar. So at the start of next year, I went into a massive manic episode and just, yeah, like I said before, did things that normal Tyler would never do. And um, by the end of it, I ended up in hospital hospital and like seeing how that impacted all my family and stuff was a massive wake-up call and that's when the psychiatrist sat me down and said you need to start taking this seriously and that was probably October last year so seven months and then since that moment I started taking my medication properly I've been seeing my therapist doing all the things you're supposed to do and I am like a different person it's been the best thing I've ever done Someone who's listening that may, you know, have bipolar or their own mental health experiences, which, I mean, we all have mental health, like, just like we all have physical health. What would you tell them if they're going through maybe the denial stage or they're really struggling? And maybe I think there's this attitude as well. I know a lot of people think that, oh, you only go to therapy if there's something really wrong with you, which... I mean, yeah, fine, yeah, but you can go to therapy even if there's not. But also, like, medication, there's attitudes around medication as well, whereas I feel like I've had to say to people who are quite close to me, you would take medication in a heartbeat if it was for your heart or something like that, but you mm-hmm. you don't want to take half a tablet or a tablet that's for your brain, you know? So, yeah, what would be your advice to people who maybe are struggling with coming to terms with it like you were? Yeah, probably two things. The first thing would be my biggest regret about not getting help and not following through with my therapy and meds would be just I didn't do it soon enough. I wasted about three years of my life and hurt a lot of people and ruined ruined a lot of things in my life because I didn't just get on with it and just get help. Like that was, that's my biggest regret. My life would probably be a lot different. I would have hurt a lot less people if I had just stopped being selfish. I'm not, not being selfish. Selfish is probably the wrong word. Probably if I had just come to terms with it earlier and got on with it, uh, yeah, I would have saved a lot of heartache. Um, that would be my next thing is I wasted like four years of my 20s stuffing around with this shit. Life's too short to Mm. stuff around with your mental health and then my second thing there with medication is it's my biggest stigma was I don't want it to make me boring I don't want it to make me a zombie and I said to myself all right I'm going to give it six weeks I did six weeks on the medication and if after that six weeks my family and friends think I'm acting like a zombie or I'm boring or I'm not Tyler I will reevaluate the situation and find something new and um, after that six weeks I spoke to my family and friends and did a bit of self-reflection on my own and they said Tyler this is the best version of you we have ever seen I can have a conversation with you without you talking about 20 different subjects within the space of 30 seconds which is really nice <laughs> my decisions have been a lot clearer but in saying that too like mental health is a very sticky situation in Australia because you have to go to your GP first and sometimes if you say to a GP, I'm depressed, they will just throw a medication at you. They won't refer you to a psychologist. They won't get to the root cause. The same, they put this yeah, Band-Aid. Yeah. It's really difficult. And I've had a couple of friends who have some childhood traumas and they've gone to their doctor and said, I'm depressed. And the, depressed, the doctor said, here's some meds. When in fact, they needed to see a psychologist and they really needed to do some therapy. So I think it's just about reflecting and making sure that you're comfortable with doing it. And um, GPs and psychologists are very different. And I would definitely recommend seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist if you do want to, um, if you are concerned about your drug. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I take medication and I know a lot of other people do. And I I think the more we say it publicly, it's good because 
people will go, oh, I do too. They feel less alone. You know, I don't really, I've never really talked about that on this podcast, but I take half a tablet of citalopram a day and it's a tiny, it's yes. only 10 milligrams. It's a tiny amount. So tiny. Yeah. My, my doctor has often wanted me to go more, but I'm like, no, that's good for me. And if I need more, I'll take more. I was on it previously for about mm, eight years back in the day. And then I came off it. God, coming off it was horrible. I was I actually physically sick. I was off it for a few yeah. years. I actually lived in Melbourne for a bit when I was off it and I really battled. I think it was just Melbourne. It was just, it was, I love Melbourne. I could, I think I could handle living there differently now. But back then, I'd not long come off my medication. It was tricky and I was mm-hmm. partying. Um, yep. But yeah, there. <laughs> but yeah, I tried everything to not go back on it again. And, and I think you do have to, to make sure, like, some people think they can take medication and it's going to fix everything. It might in some ways, exactly. like it has for you, because it is a chemical imbalance. But you need to then make sure that you're doing things like, you know, meditating or seeing a psych or doing therapy. Like, all these things work hand in hand, you know. Like just like you go to the gym for your physical health, you need to be doing things regularly for your mental health, whether it's, you know, listening to meditations or, you know, checking in with a therapist every now and then or whatever. But yeah, um, oh, exactly. it's been good for me. I just went through a few years back where I was just going up and down again. And my doctor just said, let's just put you on some. We'll see how you go. And then if, yep. I'm, if I'm having bad anxious patches, I'll take lorazepam. Like Pam Pam yes, has changed my life and I barely take it anymore. Like I don't really go through that. And yeah. if I need it, I'll take it. Like there's no shame in taking medication oh my god no I a good analogy I like to use my friends who are a bit against it is like I broke my leg I had surgery took pain medication and went to physio it's same if I have a bad mental health day there's a mixture of things I'm doing to fix it it's not a one thing fixes all yeah but it's really good to be aware of that um but yeah there's no shame like I tell people to I take 750 milligrams of lithium a day and I've had a couple of psychiatrists I've got a couple of different um opinions on it and I'm very comfortable with that amount I take and if I need more I'm sure I'll address that when it happens and if I one day can come off it I will and the good thing is you're doing it and we should stress you're doing it with a doctor you're not just deciding this for yourself like you're doing it with a trained professional and yeah definitely if you're thinking about medication or making changes to your medication don't do it yourself definitely consult and we're not doctors to so definitely consult with your mm-hmm. health professional but yeah like oh god yeah I tried to yeah I tried to take myself off at once and um it was the worst thing ever I would never I will never change my medication oh, again without it's a very dangerous what are some other ways that you like to take care of yourself we talk a lot about self-care so what are some ways that you take care of your mental and physical health yeah I think a big of my a big part of my recovery journey is self-reflecting on what does work for me with my self-love it's very different depending on like where I'm at. So I know if I'm in a depressive low, self-love for me is getting out of bed, cooking my food, showering, going for a walk, setting an hour to do work and then afterwards turning my work off and letting myself have a break. Whereas if I'm in a manic episode or hypermania and I'm doing a million things at once, self-love is the opposite. It's turning off my notifications, resting, no caffeine, no alcohol, seeing my sight. So I've gotten to a place now just from trial and error where I'm pretty aware of what headspace I'm in. And it's funny because like right now I'm very stable so I can say with confidence like, yeah, when I'm feeling low, I go for a walk and I meditate. But I know when I'm actually feeling low, that is the last thing I want to do. Yeah. I lay in bed. I'm like, and there's like, you know, the height, like your, your little angel, you're like, go for a walk. I'm like, shut up. I'm not, I don't want to go for an effing yeah. walk. Yeah. <laughs> you know all the things and you might like reluctantly do them, but you're like, and I know, yeah, like you're waiting for it to pass and you're like, oh, but yeah, you're so right. When you're in a good space, you're like, yeah, so these are the things I do. And you talk about them with <laughs> ease and ease. And then when you're in it, you're like, 
I don't want to do it. (laughs) Shove your walk up your bum. I don't want to do it. But yeah, I know I feel better after it. And also a self-love thing for me that's helped me so much is educating my friends and family. So if I'm ignoring my best friend for five days, she's she knows that like something's not up. So she knows how to approach me now. And my mum and dad can see some signs. My boyfriend educates himself all the time. So a self-love thing for me is making sure I have my support network. I can't, if I didn't have a support network, I can guarantee I wouldn't be alive right now. So they can't read my mind. So making sure I'm communicating with them, knowing them where, knowing where I'm at, educating them has helped me so much. Yeah. Whether you're at now, like you say that you're quite stable and I don't have bipolar, so I don't know, I don't know everything. And that's why it's really great that you're able to educate us. Do you still go through these times? Obviously it doesn't get rid of it forever, but does it help balance your moods out? Definitely. So the the goal with lithium is to um, stop the severity of the ups and downs. So like someone with bipolar, um, okay, for example, someone who doesn't have bipolar and their cat dies, you get sad. Whereas sadness of someone with bipolar is so deep and lasts so long and it's so severe. So lithium tries to, I'm going to do some hand movements. People aren't going to be able to see this, but (laughs) instead of up and down, up and down, it's more like uh, fish and down-ish kind of thing. And I can definitely feel it within myself. And now being on lithium, I can feel my mind wanting to go back to its old reactions and its old mood swings. And I have this I can rationalize now and I can go, all right, that's how we used to react. Yeah, it's just made everything so much more clearer. I have so much more clarity. And I notice when I drink alcohol now, that clarity kind of goes away a little bit. So I'm very wary of how much alcohol I'm consuming. But other than that, lithium has definitely balanced me out. So it balances out when you're experiencing a manic episode because do you still experience them? Well, there's a thing called hypermania. So mania is like the worser and then hypermania is less severe and doesn't last as long. And I definitely still experience experience hypermania. Um, Hypermania won't ruin your life like mania will. Hypermania, you can still go to work generally. You can kind of rationalise, whereas mania is their extreme. Mania is like me selling my business and moving to Mexico and becoming a shaman tomorrow. Like, whereas hypermania is just me talking really fast and maybe making a decision that I normally wouldn't make, which is definitely more livable with. Yeah. You've talked about when you were in those manic episodes and in those times, you did things that, you know, really, and you did nothing wrong, but... What sort of things were you doing if you don't, we don't have to talk about it, but what sort of things were you doing? Because I think, you know, there's these stereotypes of bipolar in movies and they need to change because, you know, oh, she's just, it's just a fun party thing. Like, you know, they're up and down and, and maybe doing, you know, fun things, but it's very different for a person who's actually experiencing it and it's very hard for that person. So what kind of things oh, God, were you yeah. doing during those times? Oh, no, I don't mind talking about it because um, if someone else with bipolar talked about it, it'd make me feel more sane. But... People with bipolar feel things very, very deeply. We feel things very deeply. So, okay, if there's any future employees or my family listening, turn off right now. <laughs> but when I have a manic episode... There's no judgment here. I'm sh- You're safe. <laughs> We've all done things. It's funny because when I'm in a manic episode, I'm having the time of my life. But to the people that are close to me, they are like, you have lost the plot. So, okay, I had a manic episode last year. I will use this as an example. It lasted six days. I slept 10 hours, I reckon, over the five nights so some nights didn't have one blink of sleep others maybe one or two over the five six days I ate a crumpet and a taco that was it and I basically bended from start to finish so I started drinking on a Wednesday night and I didn't stop 
stopped drinking till Monday and there was, um, I, I don't do party drugs anymore because I can't, but for some reason, my manic brain was like, absolutely, we'll do some party drugs. Absolutely, we won't stop drinking. And I just did things that I look back and go, it's honestly so embarrassing. Like a lot of unprotected sexual partners within the six days, flashed my boobs to a limo driver to get a bunch of people in a limo, um, got a life ban from the only club in Kalgoorlie for doing drugs on the dance floor. Like things that just I would, I, it's so embarrassing. Like I'm a successful business owner and yeah. on a TV show and it is just not me. And I, it's hard to explain to someone who's never experienced it, but it's like living in this world of euphoria and there's no consequences and everything you do is right. And anyone that tries to tell you what you're doing is wrong is an absolute idiot who doesn't know what they're talking about. And you just have these amazing, like grand ideas that just seem so good. Like it's 3am, let's run to the other side of town and wake your best friend up and try and get them to come on a bender with you. And it's like, I would never do that in a sane mind. Mania turns you to an maniac. That's where it comes from. You're a maniac. Yeah. And that's, I think the thing with a lot of, um, you know, mental health and people with bipolar and other illnesses as well it's the shame that that brings for you and that's really stressful mm-hmm. I know for myself having anxiety you think all these things you've done it so wrong and for me when I, and I don't drink as much anymore but for me drinking was a real problem area because I would do dumb things and then you know well they were probably weren't even that bad but then in my anxious mind the next day you know feeling like I'd done the worst thing and then the shame that brought for me that actually was really really the worst thing so I had to really stop drinking the way I was and, and just be really careful about what I do drink because some things are really bad for me like you know like some wine like wine makes a lot of girls wasted anyway it's like wasted girl like juice but I had to stop drinking wine like you know I can drink a little bit of red wine but I white wine's my devil juice and so I had to be really careful about how much I was drinking if I was drinking around work because that would like make me fuck out more like I would I think it was just like a more anxious space for me where I, I know other people that work in similar space to me and they did exactly the same thing we like I wouldn't do that with my friends but then in a workspace it's like a heightened stress situation I don't know more people around oh god yeah you know what I mean and then you'd have that shame and regret that you're going to ruin your career and all that stuff so I a few years ago I stopped drinking as much and yeah, I really changed my behaviors with alcohol. It took me a long time through my oh. teens and twenties of just doing dumb shit. But you know, I had fun and I, I've got a plenty of stories and yeah, you've got to live, right? Oh, exactly. And like, I never, I don't regret the things I've done because it's made me who I am now. And there's also a lot of great things that have come out of my bipolar. Like all my greatest uh, creative successes have come out of manic episodes. So you also, bipolar gives you a sense of creativity that is like very special. Like a lot of artists and actors and stuff actually have bipolar and I listened to her interview that Halsey did she has bipolar and oh, um, Halsey, she's she, so cool. oh she's the best and yeah. the fact she has bipolar I'm like she makes me feel like yeah, I like, can actually do you. something yeah. with my life Halsey, <laughs> please doing, keep talking about it you're doing it. so much great stuff with your life yeah so talk us through your creativity and all those things oh yeah like, okay my podcast for example that came out of a hypermanic episode where I was up till 5am ordering all this expensive podcast equipment and writing down all these ideas and stuff and when I came out of the episode I was like what was that and I went back and read my notes and I was like okay this could actually work I will follow through with it and yeah Halsey t- spoke about that and she was like I used to be ashamed of being of being bipolar and she's like I look back though and all my greatest songs and like lyrics I've written stuff have come out of that experience and yeah like it's honestly I wouldn't it is a bloody bad thing sometimes having a mental illness like that but I wouldn't change it because it's given me a lot of yeah a lot of great successes which I'm very thankful for yeah talk us through your businesses that's so I mean you're incredibly successful and you've done so well considering the 
rough times you've been having to manage while you're going through it all. So, like, talk us through the business side of things that you do. You're a boss. Oh, oh I appreciate that. It's funny when people say that. The latest thing I've been self-reflecting on is my definition of success. So, like, I really appreciate you saying that. But when you say that to me, I'm like, no, I'm not oh, in my head. I'm the same. I think a lot of us do it, especially as women. I've only recently, like, so I'm a broadcaster. I work in, in radio and media. But, you know, this podcast and I have a small media business, but I've only just recently started saying it because it's like, no, you literally are working with clients and, and partnerships and advertisers. Like, that's a small media business, hun. Like, before yeah. I'm like, I just have this podcast. I just do this thing, you know? Like, I was literally, I still sometimes say it, but I've made an effort to say, like, I work in radio, but I'm also, I have a small media business. You can say. No, I love that though, because it's something that I've noticed that females do. We, we pipe down what we, we like dim down what we are doing in life and stuff to try and make sure we're not standing out in the room because we've always been taught to kind of sit back and, you know, yeah. know our place. So I make a big effort now, especially if I'm around men and it makes me feel so uncomfortable to correctly say what I do because yeah, it's... They're, um, they're it's, the opposite. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, yeah, like, man, like I have this big promotion at work. Like, I was at a dinner recently and I've, I've been practising saying, like, when people ask you what you do, I've been I've turned I've changed it. And it's really interesting seeing how people treat you when you have that confidence in yourself. Oh, and you know what? Language is such a big part in life. And I've noticed if I, what you just said, how you used to dim down what you do, I lose respect automatically from people in the room. I Once you start owning your language and not being scared to say those things, people respect you differently. And it's yeah. just one of the small things you can do. I've mm-hmm. just noticed it in like a few dinners and meetings with people. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. No, yes. I love that you do that. You, your, your podcast is great and you oh. should be owning it because you've done some really big things. It's really exciting. Yeah, you've got to back yourself in what you do. I think it's hard, especially when we live in a world that wants us to hate ourselves. Like, especially mm-hmm. women, like, doesn't want you to like yourself very much. So, and I guess New Zealand and Australia mm-hmm. does have that tall poppy thing. Oh, you know, God, yeah. You can be successful without, like, tooting your own horn, like, in a bad way. You know what I mean? Yeah, so talk us through your other businesses that you have. So, I have an online membership, uh, and it's basically I teach people how to be a gold prospector, which was born out of me doing the TV show and getting a million messages on the daily about which machine I should buy, where I'm allowed to go, how to find gold. And honestly, it's like I was replying to these messages. I was like, I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah. I don't know why I'm wasting yeah. time. It's what happens <laughs> in, like, when you work in the online space. You end up working and helping people out for free. Eh? They're like, can you help me with this? Yeah. Yeah, you, that's the, you could be like, you could just charge and you've done it, but like, you know, you could become like a consultant. But so now you've, st- you've created mm-hmm. a business out of that. So talk us through that. Yeah. No, I was like, I love you guys, but I want money right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm spending time. Where's my paycheck? Yeah. So I, st- I started the business and they pay a monthly fee and they get weekly fortnightly lessons and live webinars and I just do a lot of mentoring and I really enjoy it because we've created a safe little community of prospectors who just love finding gold. They're very sweet. I love yeah. my little prospecting family. The other good thing is I get to continue on my family's tradition. You can't go to uni or school to be a gold prospector. It's very experience-based. So I get to share that with the world, which I absolutely love. And then, yeah, I obviously have my podcast as well, which is completely different. So my prospecting audience is very male-dominated, older generation. The conversations I have with them are very different to my podcast conversations. So I started my podcast because I noticed my audience that came from the TV show didn't always align with my values. A lot of them American and um, 
without getting political, probably yeah. very different political stances. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, read through some of my DMs and they're not, they're, our models are different. So I started the podcast to try yeah. and get more of a open-minded, younger, female-driven yeah. audience, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah, because it can be a bit like that when you're a female in an online space or I know from radio or TV or whatever and you have these dudes after you and you're like, yeah, but my content's actually for females. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite it's quite cool watching that shift. I used to get a lot of uh, DMs and even uh, dick pics back in the day from dudes, but it's changed mm-hmm. now to girls telling me about, you know, like their self-love or like their confidence. And I'm like, yeah, girl, that's like way cool. I don't want to get sent random yes. dick pics all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good on you for oh, because yeah. you, you can you can like change your narrative even though it's like not changing anything you're doing it's just the way you're yeah having these conversations which is rad oh exactly and like my instagram insights are started at 90% men and 10% women so you can imagine when which i did a hard. post saying just yeah, which oh, is hard when you're trying God. to, like, if you're working in an online space, and I guess people who are listening might not know, but, you know, like, brands are wanting to work with people who have certain demographics, and a lot of people would want to work with a female because they target other females. And if you've got, like, 90% males, then you're not going to get the work with that brand because you're not going to target the people they want to target, you know? Well, exactly. No one's going to give me a skincare brand deal no. when I've got 90% men as followers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you need to try to change that. it somehow, yeah. And it's not your fault that that yeah. happened. It just happened that way, yeah. <laughs> I tend to be, okay, I'd be very vocal on my Instagram about about my political views and destroying the patriarchy and that I'm a feminist. One, because I am passionate about that and I want to create a narrative to my female followers. But two, to weed out those right-wing American men. Unfollow (laughs) me, please. They message me, they're like, I'm unfollowing. I'm like, thank you so much. Yeah, you're (laughs) actually, you're going to help me make more money. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're going to make me more commercially viable. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Obviously, that's like a lot to handle and you're, you're managing a lot of work did you just do your jewelry and your and your swimwear for a while like talk us through creating those things from a little girl I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur I had a conversation in year five with a teacher and I said I remember it so clearly I said to her what's an entrepreneur and she said oh it's like what old white men do yeah. and I remember thinking in my head bitch what like I, I want to be that one. I don't yeah. know what that is yeah. <laughs> I want to do that and then my parents always growing up said to me don't be a goner. So don't be like, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to move to Fiji. They have instilled in me, be a doer. So jewelry was something that became quite natural to me because my mum was a jeweler. So I didn't necessarily love making jewelry, but it was an easy first business to start because I knew what I was doing. Started the jewelry brand because yeah, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like jewelry's cool, but that was my in. And then I moved into swimwear and then I had an events company. I had a vegan catering company. Like I'm just like, no, it's like, this is my manic mind. This is like, isn't that incredible though? Like it's it's a beautiful thing from it, you know, from a hard time for you. Yeah. There's so many great things you've done. Exactly. And every business that look, a lot of people could probably look back and go, oh well, in some ways it failed because I'm still not doing it. But to me, they have been such big successes because I learned from them and I won't lie on my deathbed wondering, what if I started a jewelry brand? You yeah, know? Yeah, you've done it. So yeah. I've done it. And you see with yeah. the entrepreneurs, they do, they often like start multiple things up and then move on to the next thing you know like that's a standard thing for a lot of entrepreneurs 
entrepreneurs. So I think a lot of people just don't quite get the, you know, hustler entrepreneur mindset, which some of us have that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you have one job and that's it. But like for a lot of us, no, like multiple income streams. Like I'm thinking about taking on another Mm -hmm. sort of role as well so that, you know, that I can save that money and buy a house, you know, like you've got to think like that these days, especially with the markets the way they are. God. Oh my God. I read this thing and it was like the average millionaire has seven income streams. So I was like 20 when I read that. I was like, okay, we'll have to do, where are my seven? Where are they coming from? Yeah, you've got, I've got multiple. Like you need, especially when you like work for yourself, you kind of, you need to, because you've got to pay the bills, you know, (laughs) rent ain't going to pay itself, but yeah. I have to pay my own super and you have to think about things like that. So like, really, we we do have to be on top of these things. But I've always like lived my life. I would rather have an, oh, well over a what if. What ifs really scare me. I think the Mm. thing as well, we're very lucky in the time we live in. There's so much opportunity for us. And I think what stresses me out sometimes is there's so much I want to do. There's so many opportunities for me that I get stressed out about what's the right thing to do. And I know that that's silly because it's like the right things will work out, right? But like even recently, there's been things that have come up and I'm like, oh, do I do that or do I do that? you know like and that that's a huge privilege that we have and I recognize that oh, God, yeah. but that's what stresses me out it's like all the things you want to do but you can do a lot but you also need to stick to some things you know what I mean like you've got to really you as you get older you do have to think about it a bit more as well oh god yeah I can totally relate to that like I want to live in New York and be an events manager I want to live in Paris and be a writer I want to move yeah. to far north Queensland and work on a cattle yeah. station and I used to be in that headspace where I'm like holy shit I'm not doing enough there's a million lives I want to live yeah and then I came to realize that sometimes you know what if I went and lived in far north Queensland I'd give up the beautiful things I have now and you have to sacrifice and choose your hard and sometimes you just have to stick with one thing and what's meant to be will be and trust that yeah totally and I think it's a shiny objects thing we have right and I definitely get Mm -hmm. that but then it's like yeah for me looking at the life I've built for myself and the the relationships and the commercial relationships I have and work opportunities I have where I am if I was to leave and go to a different place I wouldn't have that and so then no. you, you, you've got to be smart about things and this day and age you can definitely if you work like an entrepreneur like you then you can work from different places for periods of time you know like there's nothing stopping you from going to New York and working on your laptop for a little bit and you know or having a break you know like you can do all the things it just maybe you just don't live your life there well exactly and one thing that helped with that is like I used to get quite bad anxieties and now I really don't attach to a certain outcome so when I when I like didn't sign my contract to end my stint with Aussie Gold Hunters, I was so upset. I was like, I thought I was going to do TV. Like I thought that was going to be my thing because I was so attached to one outcome. And then within two months of stopping that, I got Parker's Trail. And if I had signed the Aussie Gold Hunters contract, I would have never got this bigger opportunity. So now I'm like, I don't attach to a certain outcome. If it's a yes, that's great. If it's a no, there's a reason why. Yeah, exactly. Like I've had that recently with with a TV gig that didn't eventuate because they weren't looking for a person that, uh, they didn't need a person in this particular role. But that doesn't mean that something else isn't going to come up. It just wasn't the right role. They didn't want a host. They didn't want a voiceover for the show. And I think you're so right. You can't attach it to one job because there's, yes, it's an an industry you might want to work in or whatever, but there's multiple jobs and opportunities that will arise in time. It just wasn't the right time. Yeah, I can guarantee if you didn't get it, there'd be a reason why. Definitely. And yeah, you just got to keep going, right? Now, you've given us so much advice along the way, but what would be some advice you would share with your younger self, knowing what you know now and everything that you've gone through? Oh, wow. Um, God, a couple of things. First one would be see a therapist, (laughs) like just go and do it. But 
when I was younger, I really struggled with body image. That was probably one of my biggest mental struggles was um, disordered eating and fitting into a size six pair of jeans. And there were so many nights I didn't spend eating pizza and laughing with my friends and family because I was more worried about having a six pack. So I would go back and tell 19 year old Tyler that my worth is not correlated to my weight. I am still worthy no matter what size jeans I'm wearing. It doesn't change who you are on the inside. That would be one of my biggest things. And you miss out on so much fun, don't you? You know, like Mm. life is for living and eating the pizza and doing the things and and not being sad and miserable about like and not missing out, you know? like Oh, God, I'm 10 kilos heavier than I was when I was 20, like even a year ago. But I have the best memories. And when I'm laying on my deathbed, I'm like, you know what? That pizza and the nights out and the drinking and the having fun is so much better than laying here being a size six. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you're still a babe anyway. Yeah. What what would be some other advice? You were going to say some other things as well. Yeah. Um, Another piece of advice, I've already mentioned this, is that make, I always make decisions now with oh wells over what ifs. And my younger cousin, actually, I just had a conversation with her this morning. She has an opportunity to move out of her small town and try a different career path and, you know, change it up a lot. And she's just like, I am so anxious that it won't work out. And I was just like to it, go there, give it a go. And then you can say, oh, well, I moved to the coast, didn't love it, came home instead of going, what if I had done that? You're so right. It's better. Yeah, you're so right. Just do the things and see what happens. And and I say that to my friends too. It's like, you can, if it doesn't work out, you can move back. Like there's nothing stopping you. Don't be embarrassed if it doesn't last. Like no one really cares. They're not going to be like, oh, she only lasted for this long. It's your life. You have to live it. Yeah. That actually brings up another point that I would tell my 21 year old self is the moment you start living your life to like, to make yourself happy and not caring what others think, your life changes forever. Like, okay, I wear flares out Kalgoorlie that are like bright green and I would have never done that three years ago because I'd be too scared that everyone would be like what the fuck are you wearing and now I wear the flares because I'm like I love these flares and my life is just like changed so much when I stopped caring what others thought of me yeah no you're so right yeah and especially living in a small town where I've lived in small towns maybe not as small as Kalgoorlie but um yeah where people are like look at you like you're a freak because you're wearing like jeans that are a bit different to even like jeans or like a jeans or something you're like I remember when I moved to this town when I first started working in radio and I was it was back in the stage of like looking like a Veronica a little bit goth emo and I had black hair and it was I didn't look that out there but like even wearing like certain tights or jeans everyone would stare at you on the street who is this person you know what are you doing it's really it's it's really weird being in a town where you're getting looked at like that hey because I've I've been there don't worry oh my god it's like why aren't you wearing a flannel and denim shorts but it's funny now I meet my my new boyfriend and he's like one of the things I love about you is that you are just yourself and you don't actually care what you think he's like that confidence is so attractive so own the things about you that are weird because someone will love it yeah that's so cool that you've got a new boyfriend how exciting yes yeah bless him bless his cotton socks (laughs) I love him how did you meet him oh this is a bit embarrassing we met at the one we met at the one nightclub in Kalgoorlie but we met through a mutual friend oh that's nice (laughs) I always like that yeah have you found over the years that it's been hard for you I mean everyone Everyone's dating life's hard, but has it been hard for you with your bipolar and the and the times you would go through, like with your dating life? Oh, definitely. And I think I had a seven year relationship, and when I came out of that, I was like, who I who am I without a partner? I do not exist. I started dating him when I was seventeen, so my whole adult life was Tyler and my ex. Yeah. And then straight after that, I started dating another guy, and I became so codependent. I was like, without a partner. 
I will be depressed. Cutting off that new relationship and learning to love myself and realizing that I am great by myself gave me an independence now so that I'm with a new guy who is amazing. But if there is any red flags, if he does something that I don't like, I have the confidence now to leave him because I know I'm fine single. I know I'm perfectly fine alone, which is really like liberating because I feel like if I hadn't done that work, I would have settled for anyone that just gave me a bit of attention. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. People need not look down on people that maybe are not in a relationship right now because maybe they've chosen themselves. I've said it the other day, they've left situations not meant for them. They've been brave enough to do that because it actually can be quite hard. Don't look down on those people. They're choosing themselves and refusing to settle for red flags and being treated like shit. Or maybe someone they're just not that into, you know, like it'll it'll be worth the wait for the person that is the right person, you know? Oh my God. And so like the best bit of advice when I was going through a breakup that I ever received was actually from my um, best friend just before she passed away. So this is like some of the best advice I've ever been given. I was very down one day and I just said, I just feel like I'm nothing without him. She said, Tyler, when you walk into a room, you light that room up for a million reasons. Not one of those reasons is because you were in a relationship. And it made me realize like, holy shit, I am so much more than being in a relationship. Yeah, we are enough on our own, right? And that's just like the way I look at it too. That's so beautiful. What a beautiful thing and a memory from your friend. That's so nice. Pre-COVID, I used to, I started traveling a lot and I did it on my own. And I would say that I was like, you know, I'd meet friends or I'd go on, you know, top decks or Kentuckys or whatever, but I would often meet my friends in different places too. And But I would stress, you can do these things. Don't wait to have a boyfriend to go travel the world and do the fun things. Create a really cool life for yourself on your own with your friends and do all the fun things you want to do. Don't wait and sit around thinking you've got to have a boyfriend. Like, don't miss out on stuff because of that. Even if it's just going for a meal or going out to a party or doing something, going away for a weekend, create the cool life you want on your own. And then when you meet someone, you get to do even more fun things. And, you, you know, like, don't wait around and miss out on life because you think you need a boyfriend or a girlfriend to do things you know that's something I've been talking about for years people are like oh you're so brave traveling on your own I'm like yeah like maybe that is but I don't want to miss out you've got one life you've got to live it right oh god yeah and that is so attractive like I would much rather date someone who is independent and lives life than someone who is like just like codependent and doesn't have a life without you I find it that is something that's really attractive in someone is when they have that confidence to do what they want regardless yeah and you've given us so much advice along the way whether it's you know your stories and your personal experiences and also advice to yourself but what is some advice you would like to share those listening who you know maybe relate with your story or I know people are going to take away so much from this conversation. So what would you tell them? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, this has been a great chat. But if I if I had to say one more thing to the listeners, um, it would probably be about mental health. And if you are struggling, I would educate yourself. And I find with your support network, a lot of the time they want to help, they don't know how. So talk to them and be open with them and get them to educate themselves and go get help. You can't fight this on your own and you shouldn't have to. You've got nothing to be embarrassed about. Do you know what is one thing that I actually always say? And it's one thing that I have found resonates with a lot of people who struggle with a mental illness is one day I was having very bad suicidal ideations. They were extremely bad. And then a week later, I went out for dinner with some friends and I had the best night ever. And reflecting afterwards, I thought if I had like gone through with those suicidal ideations, I would have never got this special moment with my friends. And so I always say there will be one more moment. So when I'm having a bad day and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. The one thing that keeps me going is reminding myself that there will be one more moment that I'm so happy I stayed for. Oh, it's so beautiful and well done on everything you're doing. Thank you so much for your time, Tyler. Oh, thank you so much. That's been such a great chat. I loved it. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Self Love Club podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're an independent podcast and you can support us by subscribing on your go-to podcast app. Click follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star glowing review. Show us where you're listening. Maybe you're out for a pretty walk. Uh, Or screenshot and post on your Instagram story and tag us in it at Self Love Club podcast so we can see and share. Share with your friends, sisters, workmates, everyone down into our backlog and enjoy listening. You can find us and follow at Self Love Club Podcast. I'm Abel Crawford and we'll catch you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.